0: Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 25 through 32. It's found on page 978 in your Pew Bibles. Before we read the scripture, let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the blessings you've given us, Lord most of all thank you for your son our lord jesus christ lord open our ears so that we can hear open our minds so that we understand your word and lord most of all let the holy spirit enter our heart and let us live your word these things i pray through jesus holy and precious name amen doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with everyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, and that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you.
1: not sure when the change started, I noticed at a restaurant um, where it was kind of a uh, build your own pasta thing or something like that, it was, you would pick your pasta type, you would pick your uh, sauce type, and then you would pick your protein. Now, I'm used to eating meat. I'm not used to eating protein. But I've noticed um, there's an increasing thing of people referring to what we would normally call meat as a protein. Um, You know, you can do this and add whatever protein you want, is the recipe of some kind of one skillet thing that we make. And um, I think it's more than just cummagency that I'm resisting this because protein's a nutrient, meat is a food, meat's a good food. What? My life verse is is there's somewhere in Deuteronomy it talks about you can whatever meat you desire eat it. It's like yes, that, that is that is one of the blessings of God, and um, you know I'm 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 just grateful that um, that Peter had the vision and we can have bacon. I mean it's just meat is good. It, but but I've, I'm I'm trying to figure out exactly what is going on, and one of the things I've noticed has been I think it's um, I think it's a vegan conspiracy actually. Because it seems to be that there are certain demographics and some marks where the idea of um, um, meat has less—I don't know—positive um, connotation than, um, than than maybe here in Tennessee, and so there seems to be people referring more to that. So, you know, I, I, if you like tofu, God help you. God <laughs> meant to be God. God love you, and but. What I want to get at is we start to change words we use for things, and it has an impact. And that's really the best kind of example I could come up that wasn't politically loaded because when people begin to change words, what they're trying to do is change the way we interpret, the way we perceive, the way we think, the way we discuss. If you can set the words in the vocabulary of debate, you've almost won because you've set the agenda and, and the terms of debate and the things that are going to be discussed rather than whoever gets there first. And so whether you say Myanmar or Burma has huge political implications, whether you say Palestine or Israel has huge political implications, and uh, there's around us kind of a push of uh, even use of pronouns um, to, to, to kind of say how are we going to perceive things how are we going to discuss things how are we going to I I I went through this in seminary when there was a big movement among some to not refer to he to refer to god because the the idea was to being under the idea of being inclusive to not use gendered words using god and that's a huge thing because is it I mean you want to be nice to people and certainly you don't want to um alienate people who have not had, not had a good relationship with their father. So, but the question becomes, do we get to set how we're going to address God, or does the revelation where God calls himself father and use a masculine pronoun get to set it? So there's a huge implications over that simple thing of what words we use, because words are powerful. Words interpret reality. Words, I would say, create reality words shape the way we think, and the words we use are crucial. It's something we see as we've read this, and I want to read this passage as a whole each time, even though we focus on one verse or two or one point that Paul's making, um, to hear it in the context. And do you notice how often he is referring to words that we use? that we speak the truth in love to one another, that we put away falsehood, that we embrace truth later on of of doing away with slander, that we, we want to use our words well, and it is because words are very powerful. We don't think that way. Someone saying word isn't enough, we want to have it in writing. And even there, that writing has to be signed and sealed. And even there, it can be debated. But the idea of just somebody's word being their bond has kind of gone. The idea of, um, you know, that we say sticks and stones break our bones. Words never hurt us, but words form and shape. And it is... um, um, something we see when we come to the Scriptures. There's, there's stories that are baffling to us if we don't get this. Uh, you know the story where um, Isaac um, is giving to his sons a blessing, and, and Jacob has disguised himself and comes in, and he receives the older brother's blessing, even though it should have been for his brother, not for himself. And I, don't you read that and think, oh, why doesn't Isaac just say, no, that's not what I meant. Let's change it. Let's bring, you know, um, the older brother in. Let's bless him. I mean, that's what we would do, right? The Bible knows words are powerful, and once spoken, they can't go back into the, the bag, they don't return. The power of that word spoken has meaning and it does things, and the word with us does the same. So, let me give you a few examples. Words interpret our reality. I mean, there's you might notice shifts in terms we use for different groups because words can be used to belittle a people make them less than human, and we can refer to those people and use a name that is dismissive. Or we can um, use words that more accurately portray things and, and show um, our, our common humanity. We, we can use words that um, kind of interpret our, our own reality. I mean, if something happens, do I say... Um, you know, I really didn't like what this person did or did accuse them of stabbing me in the back. There's a little bit of difference in the way we're interpreting things when we say that. Um, seeing Walt reminds me of uh, how we, words shift and we lose the meaning. He's being stunned when a waitress bring, takes the order and he orders water and says, it's awesome. Well, if a glass of water is awesome, what word do you have left to describe the Grand Canyon? Or the stars at night? Or the Almighty God who made them all? Uh, words we, we, we belittle, and so we, we lose the ability to really get the full grasp of meaning if we do that. So words also um, um, create. God made all things by the power of His Word. And words bring things into reality. In a few minutes, I will come and say, this is my body. And through those words and that prayer, something happens in this moment, in this space. We, we, we take someone and we pour water on their heads, and with the words I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son the Holy Ghost. There is a change of their relationship. The promises of God have been signed and sealed to them. Many of you have changed reality with the simple I do. And then with the power vested in me by the state of Tennessee and by the church, I declare, and there is something new brought into being. My own life was rocked when I heard the words, It's a girl. Reality changed for this boy who grew up on a boy's ranch with three brothers, uh, two a brother or three foster brothers, and had been around girls, and that rocks my reality. Words also do more than just convey information. Uh, we, we all know this. There are things you can say that are absolutely true, absolutely real absolutely innocent if they were written down and read by a court reporter, but absolutely inflammatory within the right context because you know how to push somebody's buttons. So, back home in Alabama, I send my brother a text, Roll Tide. It's just a greeting. Third Saturday next month, if I was to send some of you a text, Roll Tide, them's fighting words, Katie. (laughs) same word, but it does something different. And we use this a lot of times in ways that are destructive and corrosive and corrupting. How much stuff do we see? The words that we're using, the purpose of those words is not to convey, not to argue, but to mark who's in and who's out. I, um, Road to Presbytery, so part of my sermon has been shared with our commissioners of Presbytery. But I've uh, we've thought about how, you know, has anybody been... Any, raise your hand if you have changed your view on anything because somebody posted something on Facebook. Okay. Oh, wow, I'm impressed. <laughs> well, let me step back from that then. <laughs> Rarely... Some, okay. Well, y'all just ruined my sermon, I'll tell you what. <sighs> Oftentimes, words on, um, are used to kind of mark. We do this in the church. Let me get to the church away from Facebook. I drive by and I see a church sign that says, you think it's hot now, wait till hell. I see a church sign that says, where do you want to spend eternity, smoking or non-smoking? Now, I don't imagine anybody goes into the pastor and says, you know, I really don't want to be in smoking the rest of eternity. But the point of those signs is not to reach out to an unbeliever. The point of those signs is to show believers how clever and cute we are. Because if we're thinking of the idea of spending eternal and eternity away from God, how would you dare make a joke of that? How would you ever be flippant about the idea of somebody spending all eternity separated from the love of God and under their wrath? And it's shameful for a church to do that because what they're really doing is saying, you're idiots, and we've got the answers. You don't belong, and we do. We're the good people. You're the bad people. We're the ones God loves, and you don't. And we do that so often with the things. So back to my Facebook example, and hopefully y'all forgot that you've ever been. How often in politics are people not saying I want to argue and bring someone to a different understanding, but saying I want to show that we're smart and we're right and you are wrong. So it's one side wanting to own the libs and the other side accusing the others of not following the science. And the point is both of them, we're the smart people, you're the idiots. And what we do with these words is we divide and we build ourselves up in a false way and we break others down. And so Paul tells us Not to not let any corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such is good for building up, as fits the occasion. That may be. Give grace to those who hear. What he's he's going through this list of what it means to put on Christ, to live as a Christian, to enter into this new life that God has given us, and he wants us to see how to live that. And so, what he tells us to do is the words that we use are incredibly powerful in shaping our own understanding, informing other people, and in our relationship with one another as a church and our relationship with those outside the church. And if you think about it, everything of our relationship to one another is mediated through words. So, of course, it's powerful. Of course, there's there's a reason to get this right. And th- this word, not corrupting, um, that the idea there is bad, it's diseased. So when Jesus talks about the healthy tree and the diseased tree, that, that would be the word used there. It's something that's corrupt, that's bad. And, um, you know, we might look at this and immediately think, ooh, my profanity. Uh, well, we probably don't need to use too much profanity. Uh, my my youth director told me it's so good, okay to cuss. There's a difference between cussing and cursing. It's okay to cuss as long as you don't do it in front of uh, women, children, and preachers. So. <laughs> More than that, what he's saying is something that's bad and corrupting to our understanding of God's truth and our relationship with one another. And so, we want to make sure that we are not using corrupting language when we're talking to other people about how we understand things. Um, We we can get heated and go to somebody, and we can use words that would just raise anger and distort the truth. and tear down people and harm people in a way that they, I mean, they, they remember that for a long time, and so it, it harms that relationship that has to have grace and forgiveness to mend it, and so we need to be cautious in the way. So, for example, you're in an argument with somebody, and can it be, well, you always do this. You're always trying to tear me down. You're always questioning things. And let me just say one of the things good about the church is if you can find a sister or a brother in the church that you can talk to and you know that they're going to ask questions to help clarify and to, um, to get you to calm down the rhetoric so you're interpreting reality a little bit clearer, that is a helpful thing. And so it is good to go to someone and you say, they always do this. And they can say, always? Always? every single time? Well, no, but a lot of times they do this. Do they ever do other things that they can kind of help you see? Is this really a betrayal or is it just maybe a mistake? If you start imputing motives to people, they can say, well, maybe they did it in other ways to to help you understand what really is going on rather than a corruption that makes things into a bigger thing, that destroys reality, that, that... cast other people in a bad light rather than loving them enough to assume the best motives. We need to be using our gracious words that are building up with others. I can remember um, Graham playing t-ball, and one of the coaches um, you would have thought it was the World Series. You, well, I mean, you, you, thought, you would have thought it was the Battle of the Bulge. I mean, it was, it was just harsh against one of the kids who didn't do something right and angry with one of the kids who didn't do something right and, or didn't you know, perform at professional standards or whatever. And it just, I couldn't believe. And then I found out, well, he was his father. And when I'm at games and I I, I see fathers tearing down children, when, or when I'm in the grocery store and a kid is being a kid and a mother treating their child like an, an animal and using words that are just horrific to tear down someone, let that not be us. Let us use words that build people up. So when your, your, your child comes in and says, you know, I failed, I didn't do this right, you're not saying, yeah, you're a failure, you need to do better. If, it's okay. You know, you're, you're, this isn't the way you need to do this, but you need to live like we expect you to live, and we're going to give you the resources to, and build up people or, or with one another. How easily we can we can go with one another and, and and accuse them of things in our mind of of wanting to harm and hurt and and speak to others about them and speak to them as though I mean the, the church can do this so often of you've sinned you 've done wrong you're not really a Christian are you you don't really love jesus you're not spiritual about this. one of our earliest pastors expounding this from um, over 1,500 years ago, said, when someone's called in sin, do we domineer it, lord it over, and build ourselves up, and say, uh, hold out the punishment, or do we remind them of God's grace and that we build them up and encourage them to live as God calls us to live? That's what Paul's doing. He's he's showing us how to live, and he's given us the resources throughout. When Paul is addressing Christians who have failed to do what they ought to do, he doesn't say, "I don't think you're really Christians. I don't think you're really doing this. You're not loving." What he says is, you're not believing the gospel enough. You're not trusting in God enough. You're not receiving that grace. You're not knowing that forgiveness in such a way that you can forgive and show grace to others. And he's reminding them to receive grace and not berating them for not living up. We need to do with this our relationships with one another. Are you encouraging brothers and sisters? We, we 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 won't hold one another accountable. We want to, you know, people need to come and say, you know, Maybe this is an area in your life where you need work, but we also need to be reminding people. I see gifts in you. I, I I'm 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 I see the way you love others. I'm I'm I, I get to see you as an example, and, and I appreciate what you said in Sunday school. I, I I thank you for doing these things that we're building one another up. And are we doing that with others? Those outside the church, we can never look at them and say, um, we're better. You pour things out there, and let's degrade you. But we look and we say, we want you at this table. God has graciously received us, not because of anything we've done, and we can do nothing other than extend that grace and invite you in to this fellowship that we share. And the hope that we are always expressing that, that we're living out um, a grace that builds others up and invites them in um, to, to the grace that God has received so that they... Might receive, that it might be given as grace to those who hear. Would you please stand and let us state what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed? (laughs) I believe.